Hello and welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast. You're listening to our series, Freedom. Don't forget to check us out online at www.newhopechurch.tv and follow us on all social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy. So if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been talking about a series called Freedom. And Pastor Tim said last week that we need to understand where the blessings come from so that we can compound those blessings. And today I want to talk to you about the importance of having a plan. A plan is an important thing. In fact, I would say that our plan would be our budget, you know. I think it's a really important thing to do that if we're going to live in the freedom that God has called each and every one of us to live in. To in. And, and I know it's hard because sometimes even when you have a good plan, Murphy's Law kicks in and sometimes kicks our butts. It just makes it really, really hard and life happens. Um, my philosophy is this. Pray for the best, but prepare for the worst. Pray for the best, but prepare for the worst. And I know some of you might be thinking, but he doesn't have faith. No, that doesn't mean I don't have faith. It just means that I'm using the tools that my heavenly father has given me, even though sometimes they feel very limited. I'm <laughs> just saying. So real quick, I want to share with you, since we're going to be talking about a budget today, some um, life things that happen sometimes uh, when you have a budget. I'm going to contextualize first. I'm going to tell you about the picture before I show you the picture. So in this first image, you have a family that uh, decided one night that they were going to go to get together and they were going to start a budget. Their younger son hears this conversation and well, he has a plan to help them. <laughs> They're not going to have to get haircuts for a while. Boom, bonus. That's a good thing. So here's another one. So um, uh, Fifi, the cat, whatever you want to call him, the furry thing that eats a lot and scratches furniture. He has discovered that he is getting trimmed on the budget because mom and dad are saying he's gaining too much weight so he can lose a little bit of his kitten caboodle, cat food, whatever. Here, so check this out. This is what happens. Yeah, could have cost him more if he ate the fish, just saying. Um, next one, so a uh, uh, guy, his dog, you know, he's noticing. He imports his dog. He loves his dog to death. Like we all love our furries, right, our fluffies. And uh, so his dog, you know, is getting these fancy bacon treats. When he puts the budget together and his dog finds out, this was the result. <laughs> he might be dead. Just saying, the budget just got cut. <laughs> No, hopefully he's not dead. So um, the another one, because you got to throw those furry felines, those cats. You just can't trust them, can't trust them. So I tell my wife, her cats eyeball me all the time. And uh, they got big eyes. And so, um, so the cat, of course, discovers budgets getting cut. And he's like, I don't even want to be a part of this family. <laughs> can't trust that brother. I'm just saying. And finally, you know, when you have budget cuts, there are things that just aren't going to make the budget. Like maybe, you know, uh, you don't feed all of the animals in the backyard. You just feed the birds or something. I don't know. And maybe this is what happens. <laughs> Those guys are bad news. I'm just saying. But seriously, I know this is funny, but this is the truth is when we're talking about a budget, we're talking about finding the freedom that God has called us to live our life, to live in his plan. And that's exactly what a budget is. A budget is like a roadmap, guys. Picture this. You're going downtown Houston, at, at, and you're here at church, and it's 5 o'clock. You got 15 minutes to get to your appointment. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. It would be completely illogical to not use ways, to not use maps, or an old key map or something. I mean, I know I went way back there. But to use something, right? 
That's what a budget is. It would be completely illogical for us to not use the tools our Heavenly Father has given us. And I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't mean that there won't be bumps in the road. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. It's like Mike Tyson says. Everybody has a plan till they get punched in the face. <laughs> and that's the truth, right? So you know that you've got a good budget. You know that you've got a good plan once it's been tested. If you notice that, that's how authors sell books. When their model works, everybody wants to go buy the book because it works. And today I want to share with you real quick a passage of Scripture where Jesus talks to us about the model of discipleship. And it works. And this is what he says in Luke 14, 28 through 33. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down, and you can underline this, and sit down and estimate the cost, right? You got to know if you got enough to finish the project. It's like if your kid asks you to build a basketball court in the backyard and you run out of money, you can't put the hoop up, right? I mean, that is a little useless. Or, or you want to take your kid fishing, so you buy him the nicest pole ever, but you don't have money for a reel, you know what I mean? You got to be able to finish it. That's what Jesus says, to see if you have enough to complete it. And this is the thing you need to know about our Heavenly Father. He doesn't just start things, He finishes them. And He wants that for His kids. He wants us to start things, yeah, but He wants us to finish as strong as we started, if not stronger. And in fact, this, this uh, verse is not on the screen or on your listening guide. It's Philippians 1.6. And if you want uh, an abbreviated version, it's P-H-I-L-I-P 1.6. And it simply says this. I'm confident that he who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Everything God starts, he finishes. God doesn't want us to start things that we're not going to complete, which is why he said this. And he says, for if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it. Hey, by the way, just saying, think about creation. What if God didn't finish creation? We would have this big, beautiful earth without people. It's important to finish. And if he and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, with followers of Jesus, I'll take it one step further. It's even worse if you and I are those people that are on fire for God, inviting everybody to church, praying and reading our Bibles, and are just, you know, telling everybody about Jesus. And then what do we do? If we fall off the bandwagon, go back to our old ways, what do they call us? They call us hypocrites. And maybe they'll make fun of us a little bit. But more importantly, at the end of the day, we're representatives of Christ. And so it's worse because then people say, well, that's the way Christians are. And they make fun of God. So verse 28, he says this, or 31, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming with 20,000? So he's kind of saying, hey, you know, the odds are one to two here. Hopefully my ninjas are better than theirs, right? Verse 32, if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. If you can't beat him, join him, I don't know. Form some kind of peace treaty. But this is what it comes out to. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. And I love this because Jesus is telling us if we're going to be a follower, a, a, a trainer, a leader, if we're going to follow him and teach people how to be like him, then we can't just do our own thing. We got to follow his plan. We got to be courageous, but we have to have a plan. And his model works. It's timeless. And it's worked until today. So today I want to share with you three steps that I believe will help you discover your road to freedom. Step number one, start a budget. 
Look at your neighbor and say, with a smile, start a budget. There you go. <laughs> so what is a budget? A budget defined is simply this. It's an estimate of income and an expenditure that you use for a set period of time. It, 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 what does a budget do? A budget, remember, is your roadmap. A budget helps you to hit your goals. A budget will expose unhealthy spending or unhealthy habits. I'll tell you, a budget, man, it, it will do things that you couldn't have done before. It'll tell your money where to go. That's how critical a budget is. That's why I like Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. It says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And the truth of the matter is, think about it. When you plan carefully, your likelihood of success will go up. But if you're hurrying and scurrying, that's usually because you didn't plan. And you're running behind at the last minute trying to get things done. That's what Proverbs is telling us. And if you don't know this, there is research that shows there's a direct correlation between planning and stress. The more you plan, stress will go down. The less you plan, it's like stress goes even higher, right? Stress goes up. That's just a no-brainer. That's why it's so critical to plan. In fact, uh, one person said, you know, if you don't have a plan, you're already planning to fail. And I truly believe budgeting is not a, a, a financial issue. Budgeting is a discipleship issue. It's a discipleship issue. Do you know why? Because if we're good disciples of the blessings that our Heavenly Father has given us, then we're going to make sure that those blessings can come in during the good times and the bad times. How do we ensure that? By being good stewards of what God gives us. God won't give you more if he can't trust you with what he's already given you. That's because the truth is, hard times, famine, struggles, they're coming. It's just around the corner. But that's why when things are good, you put away. You remember we've been talking about this, that $1,000 emergency fund that you have put away, and then you go into the debt snowball, you start putting away, you start knocking out that debt smallest to largest. The obvious is this, guys. There is a problem with debt in America, is there not? It just is. We know the stats. We don't even have to go into those. Pastor Tim's done a great job the last few weeks of enlightening us. But the reality is this. One study said that there are seven crazy things that people are willing to do to get out of debt. Seven crazy things, and they are crazy. First one on the list is more than 50% of people said they'd be willing to get punched in the face by Mike Tyson. Well, yeah, you'd be out of debt. You'd be dead. <laughs> second group of people said, seriously, this is real stuff, that they would be willing to lose a, a year off their life if they got out of debt. Like, what? Is it really? That? Man, is it, that's crazy. Third group of people said, uh, this is like 20, 28% of people said, they'd be willing to name their daughter Sally Mae. <laughs> if you don't know it, that's a loan company that just did some folks bad. Then there's a fourth group of people who said they'd be willing to wear the same outfit every single day of their life. I'm just saying, my mind goes to bad places there. Like, is it the whole thing? Because if so, that's gross. Another group of people said, thank God it's only 6%. They'd be willing to have their pinky cut off. I'm like, what is this, the mob? <laughs> Another group of people said they'd be, they'd be willing to move to a war-torn country. <laughs> and finally, the last one is, is 4% of people would be willing to contract, contract a random disease. That's just gross, man. I'm just saying, church family, we don't have to go to these lengths to get out of debt. 
our Heavenly Father has given us a clear plan. And what I want to do is real quick is show you with the Every Dollar app. This is a free app. It's in your listening guide. We use it at home. And it's super easy, but it's a $0 based budget. In fact, for the percentages here, you can also sign up at Financial Peace University and you'll get one workbook. It's fantastic. We've used it over and over as well. But this app is cheap and it's online. It's free. It doesn't get any better than that. So hypothetical, if you make $1,000 after taxes a month, I'm just going to put 1K in fact. So if you make $1,000 after taxes a month, after all deductions, I'm going to go through this real quick. Just say we're using that 10, 1080 plan. You remember we've been talking about? That's a 10. And what we do is 10, uh, 10%, which would be 100, goes to tithes and offering to God. Another 100 goes to savings. We're putting that away for the future. And then you just put in your other things. And I'm just using round numbers here. 300 for the mortgage. I'm just saying groceries, another 200. And then just say 300. Just say we'll, we'll put 100 here and 100 here and 100 under lifestyle. But the point is to get to zero balance. So you have 1,000 in your take-home pay and you've used every single category with $1,000. So it comes down to zero balance. Why do we use every penny in the budget? Because that way you tell your money what you want it to do. You're in charge of every piece. And in fact, when you sign up for Financial Peace University, if you'll notice, there are actually percentages in the categories here. Um, see the percentage, this should be 15 to 10%. And so it'll tell you what are healthy percentages with the amount of money you make. Remember, at the end of the day, <clears throat> what you don't want to do is be caught in an emergency not having a budget. You don't want to not tell your money what to do. I love what uh, Rick Warren says. He says it like this. A budget is telling your money where to go instead of asking it where it went. I remember growing up, my, bu my budget was uh, if there's money in my bank account, I got a budget. Anybody else like, don't say amen. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's what I grew up. I didn't know this stuff. I mean, we started doing this like six years ago and it has changed our life. Cause I always remember my mom and I going, I don't know where the money went. I don't know where, well, of course you don't cause you don't have a budget. If it's not on paper, it's not a budget. If it's in here, it's not a budget. Some good thinking. Truth is, is man, 40, if you don't know this, 40 to 60% of Americans are still not budgeting. That's one out of every two. That's wild. Those are crazy numbers. I mean, I want to encourage you. Six years ago, we found out about Financial Peace University and Dave Ramsey through our church six years ago. And we have been focused on this stuff, man. We're still trying to catch up because I'm like, I would already have my mortgage paid off if it weren't for, you know, if I had known about this. I wish I would have known about this 16 years ago when I got married and how different things would be. If you don't know this, I, I sold my wife's car. I sold a house. I, I, I would have sold a kidney if they'd let me, <laughs> you know, to get out of it. No, I wouldn't have, but you know, I would have thought about it. But the thing is, is, but we do whatever we have to do to get in a good financial place. I was gonna make sure that my family was gonna get closer to God by me making wiser decisions. And so we did those things. And I'll tell you, and you may be thinking right now, but you know, Pastor Mike, a budget is not a, a spiritual issue. It's just numbers. It's numbers. Well, let me tell you something. I want to show you real quick how in the Bible, God saved people with a budget. In the book of Genesis, there's a story in Genesis about a guy named Joseph. He's the guy, kid with the coat of many colors. He was his daddy's favorite parents. You already know what I'm going to say. If you got a favorite kid, don't let nobody know, all right? Don't treat him differently. Joseph got sold into slavery by his brothers. I'm just saying. 
but he got sold into slavery. But thanks be to God, because God always works and helps us in the most difficult of situations. And Joseph ends up in prison in Egypt, but eventually he's called out of prison to interpret the Pharaoh's dream. And it turns out the dream was saying, God was saying that there will be seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine in this dream. And so the Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of all the money. And what does Joseph do? <clears throat> in those seven years of prosperity, he plans for the future. He knows that a hard time's coming. Truth is, hard time's coming no matter where you are at some point in your life. So you got to plan for the future. And he creates a budget. And you know what that budget does? It saves all of Egypt. It saves surrounding countries, people from all over the world. And in fact, it even saved Joseph's own family because he planned for the future. And then there's a the story of the little boy and, and the, the fish and the loaves, right? There's 5,000 people plus that need to be fed and, and they're hungry and they're waiting. And this kid brings Jesus three or five pieces of bread and two fish. What does Jesus do? He takes the little that this little boy has been faithful with and he made it more. And for those of you who are thinking, but I don't got nothing. I don't got anything to give. You, if you are faithful with the little that God has given you, he'll give you more. So the second step to freedom is this. Stay focused on the budget. Look at your neighbor with a smile and say, stay focused on the budget. Ooh, some of you got real there. All right. <laughs> now we're having church. Psychologist Albert Bandera, he conducted an experiment because he wanted to show people that kids didn't have to be afraid of dogs. And so there was this group of kids that all were terrified of dogs, you know, because dogs can be vicious looking, mean looking sometimes when they want to come at you, right? And, and so he wanted to show by using visualization that the kids would, could, could overcome their phobias, their fears. And so for one month long, he showed kids videos of other kids who were petting dogs, and it wasn't so bad. They were friendly. And do you know what happened after one month? They weren't afraid of dogs anymore. Those kids, it's amazing what our environment can do to us, how it creates things that aren't really normal as being normal. And this is what his research showed. According to Bandera's experiment, we are conditioned by what we see more than what we even know. For better or for worse, we adjust our behavior to mirror the behavior of others. Bandera branded this, he called it modeling. We consciously and subconsciously take fashion cues, especially when we find ourselves in a new environment. We also monitor and often mirror everything from attitude to idiosyncrasies. And this is what he went on to say, that it even affects what we watch on TV even affects how we act and what we do. And I think that some of this modeling has infected Christianity, those of us in the church. Because what we've done is we see it so much that we get tunnel vision and we think, well, you know, the, the world says being in debt and being broke is normal so we can be normal. I believe God has called us all to live differently, to think differently, to be different than what this world is. We've been called to be abnormal. That's why Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says it like this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As followers of Jesus, we're not called to be like everyone else. We're called to be transformed in our thinking, not to live like everyone else, not to act like everyone else, not to live spontaneously. I'm not saying you can't live spontaneously every now and then, but you need to have a plan. You need to have a plan for the future. 
And to do that, we have to stay focused on the goal, the prize in which Christ Jesus has called us to. Truth is, you're gonna get, you can get to heaven and you can be in debt up over your head and you can still get to heaven. No problem. But there's nowhere in the Bible where it talks good about being in debt. There's nowhere. In fact, it's always negative or we're called a fool. And the truth is, if you start living like this, your neighbors, your friends, your family, they're going to think you're crazy. They're like, why aren't you doing this like everybody does this? This is normal. But I want you to know this. What God thinks about you is more important than what other people think about you. What God thinks about you is more important than what other people think about you. That's why I like Proverbs 29, 25. It says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. If you fear the opinion of others by what you dress or name brands, what you look, what you drive, what your home looks like, you will constantly be indecisive. You will be worried, insecure, and you will second guess yourself all your life. I lived in that trap for many years. Trying to please others doesn't work. But it tells us that second part of the verse, but if we trust in the Lord, he'll protect us. Only care about God's opinion, live for him. And I think sometimes we need a good dose of Deuteronomy 5:32 through 33. And it says this, so be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Don't get distracted by what other people say. Walk in obedience, that's a great one. You can underline that, walk in obedience. Because you know, the truth is, we're always walking to God or away from God, right? And away to something that's unhealthy for us and is probably destructive. To all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live, prosper, and prolong. Ooh, hear those words. He was warning them from the very beginning. That you may live, prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. And he was so clear with them. If you follow my instruction, you will live blessed. You will have more. But you've got to do this so that I can trust you. Finally, Proverbs 1.5, I like the way it says. It says, a wise man will hear and increase in learning and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. As followers of Jesus, we got to keep studying this. We got to keep getting better. We got to work on things. But the truth of the matter is, I love this last part. A wise man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Listen, if you're deep, deep in debt, what you don't want to do is go to your, your friend or your neighbor that's deep in debt and ask for financial advice. <laughs> I already know some of you, you know, I won't ask those people at church, but I ask this guy because I want a boat. Oh, yeah, I get it, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got someone that'll loan you, the, I'll loan you the money, right? That's what happens, you know, and, and you know, some of us that are married, you know, we do that sometimes, but, or even single people, you got to go to people who, number one, love the Lord, and number two, believe in a bigger vision for the future. You know, one Native American tribe, I remember way back in the day when I was in college, I remember reading this, and it talked about how those tribes would consider any financial decision they made, they'd consider how the seventh generation was affected. Think about that. How are your decisions today going to affect generations after you? You know, but what you do is, this is why we're doing what we're doing. If you don't know this, we're doing Financial Peace University on classes on Sundays. We're doing them on Thursdays and we're doing them on Tuesdays and we're doing them in life groups. 
And you know who you have there at those groups? You have what are called FPU coordinators. And those guys have been through it. They went through the bottom, now they're going to the top. You know, I talked to one of the coordinators the other day and he was telling me he was so deep in the hole at one time and he dug out and he started using these biblical principles for years and years and how it was amazing. But, but when his daughter went to college, she got a scholarship, but he had been saving for her college. He was able to give her a check for $142,000. Wouldn't that be good? I believe that's possible for all of us. I just do. I really believe that. Don't call me optimistic. I just believe that God can do great things when we say yes to him. I think that there are three things that pride will do, though, from keeping you from stepping towards financial freedom. Pride is super dangerous. Number one, pride keeps you from admitting you have a problem. If you're a prideful person, you're like, I don't need any help, Pastor. I'm just fine. But you're deep in debt. I can do a budget, but you've never done a budget. You know what I mean? Pride will keep you from never, ever getting the help that you need. Second thing is pride keeps you from saying no. You know, it's your 20th year class reunion. You're going to go buy that dress, suit, whatever, get your hair done, your nails done. Not me, but I'm just saying. And you're going to spend thousands of dollars for one night, and you're going to pay for it till retirement. <laughs> That's what pride will do. Pride will keep you from telling your kids no. No, you can't have another pair of Air Jordans. No, you can't have another bat for the softball team because you already have three. Pride will keep you from saying, maybe we shouldn't buy that expensive thing again. That's what pride will do. Pride will keep you, if you're on a Whataburger budget, on a steak budget, when you're with your friends, and you know you can't afford it, but you go to the movies, you buy that steak, and you're charging it. That's what pride will do. Pride keeps you from being prudent from being frugal, from shopping around. Because, oh, I can afford it, I got it. That's what pride will do. Pride will rob you of your future. At the end of the day, truth is, our finances are what they are because of the choices we made yesterday. But tomorrow can be different. I truly believe that. And I will tell you, with all authenticity, there was a time when we were $50,000 in debt. Like I said, I sold our, my wife's car. No, I didn't sell my car. Um, I sold a house. I did whatever I had to do so we could get out of that thing. You know, and, and if you don't know this, like I said, six years ago, we started living by these principles. And last year, if you, if, if you heard some of my teaching before, then you know that my daughter was deathly ill. My eight-year-old daughter, or she was seven when it all started. And, you know, we do anything for our kids, Right. Well, what did we do? We, I mean, our first doctor bill just from some tests were over 10, was over 10,000. Then the rest of them went into like 150, and those were just like the hospital stays. We were so deep in medical debt. And I'll tell you, the insurance covered a lot of it, but it didn't cover thousands and thousands of dollars that we still owed. Today, we are zero dollars in medical debt thanks to Jesus. Zero. <clears throat> And I don't say that to brag, I say it to prove a point to you, church family. Had we not started living by godly biblical principles in our finances six years ago, there's no way we would have made it. And I remember looking at my wife and the two of us having that conversation while we're worrying about whether or not my daughter's going to live or die. And I said, what if we had to worry about finances on top of all this? I don't think our marriage could get through it. And I, and I say that, but it was so hard. You know, and to top it off, in the, the next year after all this, this past year, someone from our Friendswood campus walks up to us, gives us this beautiful card and this lovely check inside the card. Do you know how they did that? 
how they were generous? Because they'd been living by these biblical principles for years. Isn't that nice? You could do that. The day could come where we could walk up to someone and just hand them a check because of the abundance that we'd been living in. At the end of the story, church family, I want to tell you this. We learned this, and I know this is true for many of you. You can't predict what will happen to you, but you can prepare for how you will respond. You can't predict whether or not your child or your mom or your dad are going to get real sick or deathly ill. That you just can't, but you can prepare how you're going to respond. And the truth of the matter is, I just give you a little insight into our family. When we go on vacation, we have garage sales. I'm just saying, man, I told my kids this last time before we went on our summer vacation, you get nothing unless you sell. I think they sold the neighbor's kids toys. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, church family, they had hundreds of dollars. I'm like, where did you get this? And they can barter. Let me just tell you something. They made some deals, but at the end of the day, we're balling on a budget. <laughs> I've got the shirt to prove it to you, man. <laughs> but, you know, you can do this. We just believe that. So the third and final step to freedom is this. You got to finish strong. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to finish strong. I think this might be the strongest. So you started a budget, you're staying on the budget, and now you're finishing strong. You know, Jesus tells a story in the book of Matthew chapter 25, and it's a story about the kingdom of heaven. But he says that in this story, there's a, a, a groom coming for the bridesmaids. And the groom, of course, would be Jesus coming for his church. And he says, there's five wise, five unwise. And so what happens is, is uh, he doesn't know if it's coming. They don't know if he's coming in the middle of light in the morning, but they have their lamps and, and it's getting dark and the lamp, the oil in the lamps is going out and they're tired. Well, it turns out someone yells, the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. They all jump to their feet, ready to go. But the ones who were unwise, they didn't bring extra oil for the journey. But the wise ones, they were on it. They were on it. And you know what ended up happening is the unwise ones, because they didn't plan for the future, they had to go and get oil. They had to go find someone who was selling it. When they were gone, guess who shows up? The groom, Jesus. And he takes them all to the wedding, all the bridesmaids that were wise, and they enter into the party. They're having a blast. So now the other ones that were late, the other bridesmaids show up eventually at the door. And this is what this says. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the doors for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. This is talking about heaven, but I'm talking to you about something big as well. I believe what these, what these passages are all teaching us is that we have to have a plan for the future. And the truth is, is I know what a lot of you might be saying today. Well, you know, pastor, I, I just, I don't even have enough to put in any of those categories in that budget. Let me tell you about a woman named Osella McCarty. She's from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. This woman here obviously loved the Lord. She was, when she was in the fifth grade, she had to stay at home, couldn't go back to school because she had to take care of her aunt and her mom. Just to survive, she starts washing people's clothes in her home does laundry for folks in her home. Very little education, very, you know, very little money. She did this for 75 years. She was faithful with the little. Do you know what happened? This amazing lady received an honorary doctorate from Harvard University. She went on to receive an honorary doctorate from the University of Southern Mississippi. She went on to receive the Presidential Citizens Medal, which is the highest, second highest civilian award in America by the president himself. 
The United Nations gave her an award for her educational commitment. Why? Because she applied biblical principles to her finances. No one in the, before 1999 when she passed, there had never been a bigger gift to the University of Southern Mississippi by an African-American than this woman. Why did she do all this? Because she heard at her church that she needed to save and budget and plan for the future. She heard this at her church. Isn't that ironic? And for 75 years, this lovely woman did that. When she passed in 1999, she had a house that was paid for and $250,000 in the bank. You know, Ted Turner, the billionaire, because of the way she lived her life, he donated a billion dollars to charity. He said, if this little woman could do that, I can definitely do that. She wanted to be a nurse, but unfortunately, she never got there. Circumstances didn't allow it. But her scholarship fund allowed for more than 100 African-Americans to become nurses. She impacted people well beyond her years. Very little education, very little money. But she began to apply biblical principles. She changed a world for many people. I love it when she was interviewed, this is what she said. There's a lot of talk about self-esteem these days. It seems pretty basic to me. If you want to feel proud about yourself, you got to do things you can be proud of. Feelings follow actions. She learned to be a good disciple of Jesus by taking care of the blessings that God had given her. She impacted so many people because of her determination to finish strong. 2 Timothy 4.4 says it like this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. I pray that would be on every one of our tombstones. That we finished well that we used all that our Heavenly Father had given us. You know, in the 1992 Olympics, Derek Redmond was running his race in track and field. He prepared his whole young life to run this race. And in the process, he tore his hamstring and he could barely get down that field. He was hobbling and in pain. And, and, and this is what happened. Take a look at this video real quick. I don't know if you've ever seen that story, but that was Derek's daddy. He ran down those steps to his son. He saw his son was struggling out there and he wrapped his arms around his son. And, and you know what? He looked at his son and said, what do you want to do? And he said, daddy, I want to finish my race. And you know, it's that day, as you could see, officials told him to get off the court. People were telling him things, but he was determined to carry his son across that finish line. And he wrapped his arms around him and he dragged him there. Derek finished his race. And I know the truth is today in a room filled with people like you and me, there's some of you that are hopeless. Some of the, you that are overwhelmed. Some of you that are broken. Some of you that are so deep in a hole you don't know what to do. Some of you who feel like you're so caught deep in your sin. But I'm here to tell you today that we serve a heavenly father, Jesus, who was crucified on the cross and resurrected from the grave. The grave could not hold him. The Bible tells us he ascended to heaven. And when he sees one of his children broken on the track of life, hurting on the track of life, just trying to get through the day, trying to figure out, God, what, it is, what is it I'm gonna do? The Bible tells us that he will come down to our, his children and he will wrap his arms around you and he will help you finish your race. So today, church family, you are not hopeless. You are not too broken. 
You're not all that negative names, whatever someone said about you all your life. You are filled with hope. You serve a God who has risen, a God who will carry you. But you got to start that race and you got to finish well. And you know, I think for some of us today, I just want to encourage you five months. Try living on a budget for five months. See what God will do. Take your best to him, no matter how large or how small. Whatever it is that you're in the middle of, whatever you're going through. Because our Heavenly Father can do the impossible. I want to invite you to stand with me at all of our campuses. No, the truth of the matter is, is this. Every one of us, every one of you here, we all have a race to run. Some of it, our race looks different. Some of you, you've been trying and you've been falling and you've been stumbling. But I want you to know that God is with you. And with him, you can do the impossible. With him, you don't have to make the same mistakes that your family used to make or that your brothers and sisters used to make. You don't have to be a product of that environment. You can be a product of our heavenly father because he made you for good. And today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or if you just need to pray with someone because you and your family are so deep, or you by yourself, you're trying to figure things out, let these prayer partners that are going to come up here in a moment, let them pray with you. You don't have to give them all your information, but you can just tell them, I need prayer. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today's the day. I want to invite you to pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that, Jesus, you've given us all the tools we need to run this race and to finish it well. God, I thank you that you're always good, Father, and that when need be, Father, you will carry us to the finish line. I pray, God, bless my church family. Carry them to the place they need to be. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ we all say, amen. Grace, mercy, and peace. God bless you, church family. Don't forget to check us out online at www.newhopechurch.tv and follow us on all social media at newhopechurchtv.com.